If you would, turn the Bible to the book of Zephaniah. That's a new one for us. We've never, since I've been here, had a sermon from Zephaniah. It's one of the minor prophets. That's where we've been for quite some time. It's the fourth from the end of the Old Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there. It's page 865 in the Black Pew Bibles. Zephaniah, a minor prophet towards the end of the Bible. Joe, great job with that song, uh, Even If. I love that song. I don't know the, the, the events leading up to the writing of that song, but I have to think it has to do with uh, the book of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'm sure your minds went there as well. You know, about 25, 2,600 years ago, Babylon was this incredibly strong nation. King Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of it. Many said that he may have been the most powerful person on the planet at the time. He certainly thought so and acted like it. And so he went and took over people and took the sharp ones and trained them to be what he wanted them to be so that they would be the best representatives of King Nebuchadnezzar and of Babylon. But he didn't know the power of God inside of God's people. And so he created this huge golden image and made it a law that everybody had to worship it. They had to bow down to it and worship it. And everybody being so wishy-washy, no backbone, no spine, no foundation. They didn't know God Almighty as their maker and savior. So they said, king says to worship this thing, we'll worship this thing. But there were three peers to Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, we worship God. We don't worship anything else. We don't bow our hearts, we don't bow our knees to anything other than our Savior God that loves us. So we're not worshiping that. Well, the king had said, if nobody's going to worship his thing under his decree, his command, then they'll be dealt with, they'll be judged, they will be thrown into a fiery furnace to be burnt up. Well, they didn't, and so the king calls them in and says, what are y'all doing? You're not going to listen to me? You don't listen to the king? You don't revere me, respect me? And they said, oh, it's not that. We do respect you. We just respect God more. We can't worship something other than God. And they said, well, if you're not going to do what I tell you, the king said, if you're not going to do what I tell you to do, then we will throw you into this fiery furnace. And their response is one for the ages. Their response is one we sing about in 2019. They responded early in the book of Daniel, and they said, oh, king, our God is able to save us from that fiery furnace. You can throw us into that, and God can keep us from burning in that. But then they said this, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your idol. Now, those three young men, to the most powerful person on the planet, said, our God could save us from your judgment, but even if he doesn't, we worship God. That was then. God is now, right 
now, on a snowy, icy February morning, even now, looking for people like you and me to live for him, to believe in him, to stand up for him, to align ourselves with my heart loves you, God. My soul trusts you, God. My allegiance is to you, God. And so we're here to worship. But as you know, it is often not as simple and clear-cut as that. Who really does love God and has an allegiance like that? Who really is faithful to God like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were? Well, now it may not be as obvious and as clear. But as Zephaniah is going to teach us, there is coming a day very soon where it will be crystal clear. There is coming a day very soon where you will never doubt again whether that person sitting beside you is on their way to heaven. Whether that person in your life, your best friend, your mom, your dad, your co-worker, the person sits beside you at the office and has for 20 years, you won't worry or wonder whether they know the Lord. God is coming to make that clear. And Zephaniah brings us to that understanding. Read with me, if you will, from Zephaniah chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. This is unique to the minor prophets. You usually don't have that much history there at the beginning. It usually just tells us a little bit. And Zephaniah, like many of the minor prophets that we've covered already, Zephaniah is one that we don't know much about. There are a couple other people in the Bible with that name, but doesn't seem to be this guy. Zephaniah is unique. We don't really know uh, who he is, but we know this. His name means the Lord hides. The Lord is hidden. That's what Zephaniah means. But here at the beginning, we've got a list of people. Sounds like Hezekiah there is referring to the king, and it sounds like Josiah there is the king that we know about Josiah. And if I remember right, I think our kids are going to summer camp, and the theme of our youth or our children's summer camp is King Josiah. Is that right, Matt? Yeah. So very cool this morning that what our kids' summer camp is going to be about is going to center on the life of Josiah, King Josiah, and yet here Zephaniah is prophesying during the time that Josiah is king. I want to point out something as just a little side note that you wouldn't get this morning if you hadn't been studying. It says that Zephaniah was a son of Cushy. You know who Cush was? Straight up in the middle of Africa, Ethiopia is known as Cush, and even Ethiopia was, used to be Sudan. And so in case you might buy in every once in a while to this horrible, sinful, false narrative that Christianity is a white man's religion, it is not, never has been. I don't even know of any white people in the Bible. There is one God who made all people that are every color. Zephaniah, by all accounts, was African. His dad was African, straight from Sudan. And the Bible wants us to understand that, yet if you had just been breezing through it, you may have missed it. 
You know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Middle Eastern. And so I want you to understand here at the beginning that it's good for us to look into God's word, understand what's happening here, and God bless our lives and grow our faith through it. Notice that after or before it names all of those people where Zephaniah is coming from, it says, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. Let me remind you that what a prophet does is he tells the people what God tells him to say. He's just a mouthpiece for God. Remember, a priest goes the other direction. You take your prayers or confessions to the priest, and the priest tells those to God, but a prophet goes the other direction. The prophet gets a word from God and then comes to the people and says, hey, here's what God wants you to know. Thus says the Lord, and that's what Zephaniah is. Zephaniah has a message from God to tell the people. So let's begin reading at verse 2. Here's what God says. Now brace yourselves, all right, because this is a heavy chapter. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal in the name of the idolatrous priests, along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. My first point this morning is God's feeling toward sin. Number one, God's feeling toward sin. God hates sin, and rightly so. That's what makes God more of God in the sense that we are understanding him. To understand that about God is to understand more of God. To know that about God is to know God in a fuller sense. God is big and God is full and God is holy and good and merciful and compassionate and God is wrathful. And in a right and proper and good way, he gets angry about things that you should get angry about. And boy, does he get angry about sin. Now, the Bible does tell us that God is able to have anger and mercy at the same time toward someone sinning against him. And so we balance when he's angry and how he'll be compassionate, and we bring all that together. But here in Zephaniah, at least here in these opening verses or opening chapter, we see how God feels towards sin. It bothers him. He is angry. Now, let me remind you that it's not so much, we've seen this many, many times, we've preached this forever, it's not so much, listen to me, what people do that we call sin, but why people do what they do that we call sin. It is the heart or the reason or the purpose or the passion or the desire behind what you're doing. Now, don't get me wrong, sin can be deeds, certainly. And there are things that you do that are absolutely wrong. We don't want to be those who make it all relative and say, well, you know. No, there are things that are wrong and lots of them. 
But at the really heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. Why are you doing this? For God teaches us that the reason why he made us, the reason why he made people, is that we would love him. That we would worship him. That we would value him, treasure him, delight in him, glory in him, glorify him. That we would do that. And to any and every and all extent that we do not, that is sin. Hebrews says that whatever does not come from faith. No, no, no. Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. The best of efforts, not looking to God or trusting God, are not glorifying to God. Romans says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. See, God has a feeling where he wants us to worship him, and he's deserving and worthy of it. He is God, our maker, the one who loves us and takes care of us, and is working in our lives daily. To not want that, desire that, appreciate that, to not be thankful for that, grateful for that, to not want to ascribe back to him just the worth that he deserves is wrong. And God has a feeling toward that. And we see here in Zephaniah how he feels. Eventually, he's going to utterly sweep away, wipe away, deal with people. His judgment is a real thing. And he's describing here that it's coming. In verse 7, he says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish. Verse 9, on that day, I will punish. God is upset about sin. We see him talking about the way he feels. In verse 12, he says, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. God feels a right upsetness, uh, anger toward certain things about us. So let's see some of these. Here in verse 12 he mentions complacency. Can you imagine that a lazy lackadaisical, indifferent attitude toward God would upset him? Can you imagine in the book of Daniel if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have said, you know, I really didn't think I'd ever really bow down to anything else, but you know, I'm not ready today to be dealt with by the king, so let's just go worship his idol. I mean, deep down, I'd know that that's not really my God, but I'll just go and worship it. Just kind of complacent, no real allegiance, no courage, no strength. Look what he says in verse 12. I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. God doesn't really get involved. He doesn't really do anything to us. He doesn't really have a position on my life and how I live. He's not really for me or against me. He's just up there doing something, and I hope he gives me good luck with my life, this complacency. It's not good. Look down to verse 17. 
I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Do you see that? They have sinned against the Lord. If you keep going on to verse 18, it says, neither, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them. Everybody see that? We see that God is feeling about their sin in a way that's not good. Pointing out to us that. And I want to ask you here this morning, how do you feel about sin? Now, I know you've got some strong feelings about everybody else's sin or the sin that you see on TV or in your neighbor. But what about your own? Are you broken? You ever slow down enough to just admit, I've sinned against God? I'm not living how I ought I haven't really thought about worship lately. I've never thought recently about what I'm devoted to, what I delight in, what it looks like I value. And would you take that thought and go a step further and try to align your feelings with God's feelings? Have you ever said, God doesn't like how I'm being God doesn't like how I'm treating that person. God doesn't like how I'm responding to this circumstances in my life. Remember, we just saw last couple weeks with Habakkuk, the minor prophet before, that Habakkuk keeps complaining to God. And we talked about our complaints and being a complaining people and the things that we complain about. Have you ever said, even after Habakkuk, that I complain too much? God doesn't like me to complain. And as I told you that even complaining is a type of idolatry, it's letting God know that you don't think God's doing things the right way. Have you slowed down enough to say, God doesn't like the direction our marriage is going. God doesn't like the way I'm parenting. And if God's displeased with it, then maybe I should be displeased with it. Maybe I should humble myself and seek him for help. Number one, God has a feeling toward sin, and that feeling is not so much what they're doing, while it is what they're doing, it is specifically that they are sinning against God. Verse 17 again, because they have sinned against the Lord. This heavy chapter of a judging, angry, wrathful God is because people sinning against him. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that I've never preached on Zephaniah before, and as long as I've been here, y'all have never heard anybody here preach on Zephaniah before. And you may already be figuring out why we don't a lot. <laughs> it's a heavy book. But I've been praying a lot. And we got here early this morning. I asked the people that were here to pray, please pray that God by his spirit would cause us to see this. If you don't know and believe God, you right now may be getting upset that God is that way. 
You may think, I don't like him like that. You know what? It's because you're not thinking about who God is. You're thinking about how you would feel. You know, the other day I was at a store, true story. Actually, I was at Sam's. I have to tell you that so that you can get the whole, whole point. I was at Sam's. And you can't leave Sam's without your receipt. I think you know that if you've ever been to Sam's. They have to check your receipt. And the lady right in front of us, right in front of me and Val, walked up to the door at Sam's with a grocery cart like this full. Nobody really does that at Sam's, at least I don't think anybody does. We go in and get like one thing. But they, she had the whole cart overflowing. And she walked up to the lady and tried to like quickly zoom out the door. And this little old lady at the door said, wait a second, I got to see your receipt. And she says, oh, I don't, I don't have the receipt. I already lost it. She says, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got to see the receipt. You can't get out of here. And it turns into a heated exchange. They're kind of talking harshly to each other now. The lady starts cussing at her and all of that. And finally, the lady just grabs this huge trash can that's in the cart that's full of things and bolts out the door. As soon as she steps out the door, there's a getaway car right there. She throws the trash can in the back, and the car squeals off and gone. The lady working the door, checking receipts, starts crying, and me and Val are like, wow. You know what I thought? The lady ran out there and got her license plate, immediately called the cops. You know what I thought? I thought, I hope they catch them. Not because I want to see somebody, you know, burn or be in jail forever. I thought, I hope they catch them. You know why? Because that's wrong. That is wrong. You can't go to the store and take a cart of things without paying for it. That's wrong. I don't know her story. I don't want to try to act like I know her story. I don't want to try to put her out too much. I'm certainly not saying that she's a terrible person through and through. I don't know anything about anything, really, except for doing that is wrong, and so I hope they get caught. Well, that's small scale. Probably won't get caught. Sam's or Costco probably don't even care whether they get caught once they're gone. But listen to me. If you don't love God, if you don't realize that he loves you, if your heart does not understand he's for you and will help you and cares and is taking care of you and the only reason why you've made it this far, even if you are limping this far, is because of his good, gracious, fatherly mercy toward you because he wants to take care of you. And for you to not think that or care, or appreciate, or bow down to him, or worship him, or honor him, is wrong. God is so much better than me, because when I see that happen at Sam's, I think, I hope they catch him. And when God sees me or you not worship him right now, he doesn't say, I'm getting them right now. He's waiting. He's patient. He feels this way. Like, I hate that. It's not good for them. They're making bad decisions. They're going the wrong direction. That's not going to turn out the way they think it's going to turn out. He feels all of those things, and yet he still waits for us. He doesn't strike back. 
He feels this way toward sin. But secondly, and it does get stronger, he has a day, a day of where he will deal with sin. Number one, God's feeling towards sin. Number two, God's day of dealing with sin. I tried to not bring it up in, verse one, in, in point one, but I kept mentioning it. Look at verse seven. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Look at verse eight. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice. Look at verse nine. On that day. Look at verse 10. On that day. Look at verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. Look at verse 15. Look how many times it uses the word day. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry. God has a day set that he will deal with sin. Now, The interesting thing, fascinating thing about the prophets is that the prophets were often talking about a sooner day coming in which God was going to judge his people right then. You've heard me talking about that as we walk through the minor prophets. So, for instance, he would be able to tell his people that this nation was coming. Hey, Assyria is coming to get you, and they're going to come, and you're going to have the fall of Jerusalem, right? Something like that. Well, here, Zephaniah is prophesying to the southern kingdom, to Judah, in the time of King Josiah. And Zephaniah could be speaking about a judgment that's coming again. But it also seems like Zephaniah, unlike some of the other minor prophets, is speaking mostly about the final judgment. The day where God judges everything. Now let me show you this a little bit. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. If we turn back to Joel, which we preached on several weeks ago, if we turn back to Joel, listen to this. Chapter 2, verse 11. Joel 2.11, the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He, He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? If you turn forward to Amos, Amos chapter 5, you have this. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. And as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? See, the prophets and the minor prophets are often, if you were to turn to the big ones like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you'll see the day of the Lord mentioned again. The day of the Lord is common in Scripture, and sometimes it's referring to a sooner judgment that's coming to them there that is a a smaller one indeed, but 
often or sometimes it is speaking to this final judgment that is coming one day. I don't know if you know how far along you are in your walk with God or your journey through life. But hear these words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts chapter 17. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now God commands all people everywhere to repent. Listen, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. So my first point is that God has this feeling towards sin where he hates it and it's wrong. It's wrong because it's not right. It's wrong because it's not for God and to God and worship to God. And my second point is that not only God will deal with sin, but Zephaniah is saying that God has a day set where he will deal with that sin. I want to ask you if you believe that. I want to ask you if you really believe that. That there's an appointment set for us. You know, one of the cool things about our phone is we can put appointments on there and we can look at our calendar all the time and check up on it. We can get a reminder on it. Listen, every single one of us have an appointment set. We don't know that day, but we have an appointment set with God where he will judge us. That should matter to you. That should matter to you. That should wake you up. I remember being in college, and it's, it's really funny how the, the teenage years are so formative. I've been out of college for a long, long time, and I still keep bringing up college stories for you all. And every year they're a little bit further away, and maybe those stories are turning into legends, and they're not even true anymore. I don't know. But I remember being in college, and you get to the first day of a semester, let's say January, mid-January, and first day of class is always cake, syllabus day, teacher goes over to syllabus, and here's what we got, and they point out that on May the 15th is the final day of class, and you're going to have a final exam there, we're going to take January, February, March, and April, we're going to study this, we're going to study this, you've got to read all of these books, you're going to have a midterm on this date somewhere in March, and we're going to go over all of this, and they even line out what they're going to lecture on every single day, and they say, on May the 15th, Okay, May the 15th, everybody got that? May the 15th, we are going to have a final exam here for all these books that you've got four months to read and all of these lectures that I'm going to explain to you. And on that day, we're going to have a final exam. Everybody's like, all right, I got four months, I'll read those books. Actually, I've already even read one of those, and I got this. May the 15th rolls around. Emails are being sent to the professor, and they're saying, can we? Can we get an extension? You know, my parents' anniversary was yesterday, and I had to go out to dinner with them, and had some car trouble this week, and I just haven't been able to get myself ready for this. Can you postpone it, or can you give me an extension? And every good professor ought to say, no, no way. I told you on January. I emphasized it on January. 
I hammered it into you on January, and every single day since then, as you read, and as I lectured, and as you learned, and as you grew, we knew that that was the day. Now, professors may be soft, I don't know, and maybe they do extend, but listen to me. God's not extending. He's told us. It's not four months long. He's told us for our entire lives that we're going to meet him one day. You and I will meet God. Don't be like those people who are complacent and say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good or he, will, he, will do, or, or he won't do ill either. He's not going to care. Judgment's really not going to be that bad. He can't be that angry. It can't be that bad. Don't, don't, don't think that way. Please do not think that way. Don't let other people allow you to think that way. Don't allow anything to get you to think that way. Think this way. Soon and very soon, I'm going to meet the king and I will be ready. I don't want to meet him and not be prepared. Number one, God's feeling towards sin. Number two, God's day of dealing with sin. And number three, finally, God's way of delivering from sin. We have told you a million times over to read it all, get the context. Chapter one is very heavy. Look at verse 17, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. That's I think I've read a Bible devotion with my kids 99% of the days that that they have been alive. We have missed some days, but the huge majority we have hit. We've read a lot of stories at our house with our kids. We've read a lot of Bible passages. You know what? We've never read that one. We're not there yet. If you read that alone... You may not understand what our Father in heaven is really like. You could, don't get me wrong. You could, because it's right for him to feel the way he feels. It's not bad. Chapter 1 is not bad. But if you're reading chapter 1 all by itself, that's all you know, you may think, "Uh uh-uh. It's kind of like I watch a lot of ball games on TV. And every once in a while, Val will sit down and watch with me. And the the TV will just happen to show the bench and see a coach screaming at a player. And Val will say, what's his problem? He's all yelling at those guys for no reason. Why is he acting like that? I say, Val, that's Roy Williams. That's the best coach. That's North Carolina's coach, Val. He's awesome. Love him. He loves those players, right? If all you get is that one little clip of him being upset about something, then you don't, you don't know him really. Look at chapter 2. 
Remember, the Bible wasn't written with chapter and verse, so this just flows straight out of Zephaniah's mouth as a message from God. Look at chapter 2, how it begins. Gather together, yes, gather, gather together, yes, gather, gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. God has provided his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. His sin or his death was because of your sins, not because of his sins. His death was for your sins. His life was given for your life. His death happened to overcome your death. It happened to please God, to absorb the wrath of God. Jesus was dealt with so that you don't have to be dealt with. Jesus took the punishment so that you don't have to be punished. It's all about Jesus. And here we see the heart of God saying, Come to me. Believe in me. Trust me. Receive me. Before before, before, before it's too late. Before that day, before that day, before that day comes, get right with God. And if we'd have just stopped at chapter 1 today and you'd have not just glimpsed into chapter 2 where it says that, you may have missed how awesome God is. Even God, who rightly feels that way towards sin, is thrilled to say, get right, come. And as we study just this week in the book of Romans in our morning Bible studies, it is because of all this that God is able to be both just and the justifier. God is right to be angry against sin, and he's right to forgive you of your sins. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. He took it all. Jesus died for you. God took out, listen, you see how harsh and strong chapter 1 sounds? Well, that day's, listen to me, that day's coming for those that don't believe. But get this, chapter 1, that anger has already happened those that do in Jesus on the cross when you hear him say a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth when you hear him say because they sinned against the Lord you need to know for those that don't believe that's yet to happen. But for those that do, it already happened. He turned his back on his son. He crucified him on the cross. And Jesus died for us. And so as we read in Romans 6, it says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe? Will you believe? 
Zephaniah has brought us to the point that we should be shaken and burdened about sins and defiance to God and yet still turn to him. May God in his mercy do that for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Zephaniah. Thank you for a glimpse into how you feel about sin and how you're going to deal with it. Thank you, God, that there is time now for us to turn to you. Lord, work that in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.